Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by John Ronaldo. John, how is it going, my friend? We are in the midst of January, and I don't know about you, but it is freezing here in Baltimore. Well, uh, it is decently warm here in Las Vegas, but I just spent the past weekend in Wisconsin, of all places. <laughs> that they go ice fishing for fun in Wisconsin, as I discovered. And I told the crew there, I'm like, that doesn't sound fun at all. But, you know, to each their own. So I uh, am much warmer now that I'm back home in Las Vegas because it's a right. whole 56 degrees. So I'm a happy camper. But I'm excited, Chris, because we are kicking off the new year great. Uh, last week, those of you who've been listening, we had an interview with Rich Curran, the executive director from the Paris Success Group. And this week, not to be outdone, we have another interview. And I'm excited because we have with us uh, on this podcast, Dr. Bob McCarty, who is one of the lead researchers for St. Mary's Press's recent publication, Going, Going, Gone, The Dynamics of Disaffiliation in Young Catholics. Not only is he doing this type of research, but he's also uh, a professor and teacher at the University of Dallas, among many other things. Bob, how are you, man? Welcome aboard. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm really excited about this. Oh, it's great to have you. This is important, important research. This book, this research was published about a year ago, if I'm correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you have been going about the country, uh, talking about this research, what it means, its application and implications for us in Catholic youth ministry and Catholic ministry in general. So, so uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into this research, and especially what makes this particular research maybe a little different than some of the other studies that are out there, like the National Study on Youth and Religion, uh, Pew Research Care, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, John, you, you know, uh, John and Chris, you know that my whole professional career has been in youth ministry with an emphasis on uh, leadership formation. So I, I've spent my whole vocation working with the young church. And so when I left the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry a little over two years ago, um, I became adjunct professor at Catholic University at the University of Dallas, but St. Mary's Press approached me about becoming their project coordinator for Going, Going, Gone. And so this has been, a, I have to tell you, this has been a, a really exciting personal and professional opportunity for me to be, to be working um, and looking at this slice of church and, and of youth and young adult ministry. I think this is really important. And I want to be able to say, in addition to my professional work, uh, I'm a parish volunteer. I've been volunteering in youth ministry, young adult ministry for now well over 30 years. And so it makes the research real for me when I'm, when I'm in my own parish. And um, one of the things I think is so important about this, this research, and I think what makes it different than a lot of the other research, we want it specifically to know more about Catholic young adults who no longer identify as, as Catholic. We want it to move beyond, and this is important, we want it to move beyond a quantitative survey. Um, in a lot of research projects, they have questions with a set number of answers, and you get to choose among your, your multiple choice responses, and the, and the survey comes back, and the report comes back as a series of pie charts and bar graphs. When we first did the quantitative analysis of our data, we thought something was missing here. And we did a second level analysis called a qualitative analysis. 
And in qualitative analysis, what you do is you go back to the stories themselves. You go back to the, to the interviews themselves and you identify what are called units of meaning. And in a sense, what you try to do is you try to get underneath the quantitative analysis to look for more. If quantitative analysis provides symptoms, I think qualitative analysis begins to identify causes. And so I think that's really very, very different. And I think it's what sets the study off from other studies that have come out about youth and young adults and their relationship to, to church. Really good. I mean, I uh, definitely there are numbers in this research, but th what constantly stands out for me is the different quotes. And I, when I read through this research, there are different ideas, different things that young people said that keep resonating with me. And, and I constantly share those quotes because there is something real about hearing from the mouth of the individuals themselves as opposed to just seeing numbers. When people see numbers, it's not as real as when we begin to hear the stories behind it. So I, I think that's really uh, uh, really important. And if I could say this, those of you who are listening, if you are involved in a church in any way, shape or form, I think you need to go out as soon as this podcast is done and purchase the book from St. Mary's Press. And we'll give some information about it. It's a short book. You can sit down and read it, uh, but it in like one sitting, but it's super mm -hmm. impactful. I found it very valuable. So as you can see, I'm biased completely. Uh, well, John, so am I. It's okay. Well, I use. I already told Bob and said I already. I use this as a required text for the classes I teach at Santa Clara University. So, uh, and they have found it extremely valuable. You know. So, what are the major findings? What are the, what did you come up with? What were the things that basically were the huge takeaways based on the research that you've done? Well, but here's what I want to say at the beginning of this. Uh, first, I want to say that. In the research, so here's what I think is happening. I think that the disaffiliated young Catholics are telling us a great deal about church. And so I, so I would propose, I'm an advocate, that when we look at this issue, rather than think of the disaffiliated as a problem to be solved, I think that they are a grace for the church. I think that the disaffiliated are providing us a window into the role of church in a secular world. Now see, and I think that's critical because if we see them as a problem to be solved, then we try to create solutions to that problem. As opposed to, I think what's really important here is to say, what, what are they telling us? What can we learn about being church? Um, what can we learn about being church by, by delving into the stories of the disaffiliated? And, and so one of the things that happened with this, as, as I think about this, when we asked our young people, when we asked these young adults, and remember the criteria here is that these are young adults who have walked away from church. They've no longer identified. When we asked them, at what age did you stop identifying as Catholic? The median age for these young adults was 13, 13 years old. Now that's significant. And I'm going to bet that people who are in pastoral ministry with young people or young adults uh, may not be surprised by that. But, but I have to tell you, many pastoral leaders are, because what that says to us is that we have young people sitting in our pews. We have young people sitting in our programs who've already checked out of church. They've already stopped identifying, and they're just biding their time. And so that has significant implications for how we do, and I'm going to say how we do middle school ministry, how we do high school ministry, and certainly how we do young adult ministry. And so... If at 13, and here's the other part of the findings, um, 
we found that 74% of young adults I, who, who no longer identify as Catholics make that decision between the ages of 10 and 20. 74% of them are, were between the ages of 10 and 20 years old when they made that decision. I think that has incredible implications for how we do ministry. They're sitting right there, but they've already checked out. And, and John and Chris, this wasn't, this wasn't in the study itself. So it, it's kind of my language trying to understand that phenomenon. I use the language of unchurched and ungospel. Uh, we all know what unchurched means. Unchurched means those people who are no longer attached to a, a denomination, to a faith community. Okay, that makes sense. Unchurched. But ungospeled is my way of trying to understand those young people. And, and I just want to admit, I think many adults, but I'll come back to that. Uh, those young people sitting in our pews, they're sitting there, but for some reason, they've not experienced um, the joy, the peace, the compassion, the, the mercy, the forgiveness um, of, of the good news. The, the, the experience of the gospel hasn't become real. They are ungospeled. Uh, Pope Francis talks a lot about um, the challenge of fostering a, a genuine encounter with Jesus. I have a suspicion that oftentimes in our pews and in our programs, um, there are many, many people who've never had that genuine encounter with Jesus, that they're outside the experience of the good news, which I think leads to that sense of disaffiliation or that, that decision to no longer identify as Catholic. Because, because in the back of their head, they got to be thinking, what difference does this make? And so I think a significant finding comes from from the fact that at earlier and earlier ages, young people are asking deeper and deeper questions. And when we think of it through the lens of this ungospel, I would maintain that what that is saying to us is that we don't have a youth issue. And this isn't a young adult issue. This is a faith community issue. And I think that's a critical part of all this. For those of us in pastoral ministry, the way you frame the issue uh, greatly impacts how we respond to that issue. I think we need to frame it as a faith community issue. The challenge here is how does the faith community pass on faith to succeeding generations? That, that's the question here. What does that start to look like? There's a, um, there, one of the blessings of doing this, um, doing this research is to put me in touch with other researchers looking at other, other dimensions of this, um, this issue. And so, Dr. Josh Packard from the University of Northern Colorado just released a study called Church Refugees. And whereas we at St. Mary's Press, we're looking at the nons, uh, Josh Packard is looking at what he calls the duns. And he estimates that there are about 30 million people who are heavily involved, deeply involved in their congregations who are, who are no longer associated, who walked away from church. They are literally done with it. And he thinks there's another 9 million almost duns sitting in our pews. I think the almost duns for me would be similar to ungospel. They have a foot out the door. So what that says to us, seem, to me, is that this is not a youth issue. This is pointing to a, a much broader uh, challenge uh, about the role of church in a secular age. I think 
I think that's what's going on. And I think that's going to be the biggest contribution of the study is to broaden the conversation about the role of church in the secular world and what that needs to start looking like. All right. I was on a roll there. So sorry. Yeah, no, that's, that's <clears throat> great. I love soapbox. So I had my no. Hey, 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 we're just uh, raising our hands. Amen to that. Um, you mentioned a little bit of the reaction that people might be surprised that it happens at age 13. Um, can you talk about some more of the reaction that people have had in regards to the data, like people's response to the data? Yeah, it, you know, it's really, it's been very, very interesting, Chris. Um, quite a few folks, and we, St. Mary's Press has done something like 50 to 60 workshops just in the last year. We estimate that we've talked to uh, well over 2,000, maybe over 2,500 pastoral leaders about this, re this re research in a, a variety of settings. And, and some folks just shake their head like, absolutely, that what, that what we've done at the, with this research is we put a language on and actually numbers on their lived experience. So, so sometimes for people who are, who've been committed to this work, uh, sometimes we just need, we need some language to help us understand what we know to be true. And sometimes we need the researches to verify, that's right. I knew that, but now it's good to have the research that tells me, okay, so this is what I see going on here. Um, but, but then I have to tell you, one of the most troubling comments, and I, I think this is an issue, and I think it, it's, it's reflective of that question I posed about the role of church in a secular age, the most troubling comments include things like, um, <clears throat> maybe we just need a smaller, pure, more orthodox church. Maybe that's what the gospel is calling us to. And, and I think that, that's a theological question, and I think it's, an ecclesi uh, it's a question of ecclesiology about how you understand church itself. So I, I find those comments particularly troubling when they say, as one person said, and this is a direct quote, sometimes you have to burn off the dead wood. I find that an incredibly uh, depressing, and I find it such a um, kind of a sad view of ministry. And, and I think it's such a, a limited understanding of what the gospel calls us to as, as disciples. I mean, it seems, it seems the antithesis of what Francis talked about in terms of being, being missionary disciples in, in a secular age and what that starts to look like. So, uh, so, so having said that, one of the things I do think in terms of other research that's required here, um, I think we need to know more about the engaged. So, so we know, for instance, okay, roughly, and, and probably a lot of the listeners know all these statistics, but, but it's estimated that about 36% of young adults are, are, are considered nons, non-affiliated with the denominator, about 30, about 36% uh, of them. Um, but when you look at the research around young adults, and I looked at four or five different ways, and now I have to tell you, every time somebody does a study, they come up with new categories of young adults, and they put new language on it, and it's, it's a bit confusing. But I think my one takeaway is that around 20% of young adults are, are counted as highly engaged or um, or they are one line, one study calls them the abiders. These are the ones that are actively involved in the congregation. Well, so the danger here is that when we, we see that 20%, we think that represents the whole of young adults and, and it, it's 20%. Now I want to know more about that 20%. I want to know more about uh, what, what leads to that level of engagement for young adults. How does their faith of their faith of adolescence, 
How is it sustained? What formed it in adolescence that allows them to carry that faith into their young adult years? So we need to know more about that. But simultaneous with that, I think we need to know from the disaffiliated, what, what was going on here? What's happening in the faith community that, um, that, that, that didn't allow faith to, to deepen, to foster, to strengthen? What happened there? Um, and how can we know more about that? And what, would that, what are the pastoral implications of, of looking at all this? So, so I, I think this whole idea of, um, of young adults in a secular world, I think it needs more study. I think that we have to avoid the temptation. I call it avoid the temptation of quick conclusions that lead to quick solutions. Because I think if we do that, and, and people do this all the time, and you come into a workshop, and you say, we know this is a challenge. Tell me the three things we're supposed to do in order to, uh, to resolve this issue. I said, there are no three things. You know, there are no three things. There are no single reasons why, why young adults walk away from the church. I said, so, and if you want to know what you need to be doing in your parish, ask your young adults. You know, I mean, if I had one practical suggestion, okay, I have more than one. But one of my practical suggestions is really clear, ask. Ask your young adult. We, one of the most humbling parts of this whole study is I would be out traveling around the country and I'm interviewing and I'm videotaping young adults about their connection to church. And at the end of every one of these interviews, the young adults would thank me. They would thank me for listening to them. And as one of them said, thank you. No one's ever listened to my story before. Thank you very much for listening. And I, I felt so humble and thinking, oh my God, I should be thanking you for giving me a window into the faith community. Well, one of the clear takeaways is gather young adults. And then, but then here's the challenge. Don't just gather the young adults you see sitting in the pews, because then what we're doing is dealing with that 20%. You gotta find, and I know this sounds like, well, how do you find the ones that we can't find? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how you find them. Ask, ask the people in your parish. I'm gonna bet, I'm gonna bet hands down, you ever make an announcement at Sunday Mass that you want to meet with young adults who are no longer affiliated with church, you watch the hands go up in your congregation, because I'm going to bet you that the majority of those people sitting in your congregation, they know young adults who no longer identify. And I'm going to bet that most of them happen to be their kids. And so they're all, there's ways we can do this. But, but I'm telling you, to, to create those kinds of opportunities, to listen to their stories. And then, and then here's a PS about this. One of the things that came out of our study that was really clear, and I think it's a pastoral implication, is the, uh, it's the difference between listening to learn and listening to respond. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, I think we've, we've all been in conversations where somebody is speaking about an issue or a topic, and in our head, we are already planning our response to what they're saying which means we're actually not hearing all of what they're saying. And so that, that's listening to respond. When we, when we sit and listen to the stories of young adults, we need to listen to learn, listen to understand, to resist the temptation of responding. I think it's so important, even when we think, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So just let them be crazy for a while. But, but to listen, to really understand my, my learning in, in being in youth ministry for a very long time is sometimes when we ask our youth or young adults questions, sometimes they give us the answer they think we want to hear. 
Sometimes they give us the responses that they think will push every one of our buttons. And if we're really, if we're really genuine about listening, then we're going to hear the responses that are very meaningful for them. And so this whole idea of listening to their stories, I think, is a, is a very practical implication for, for responding to the disaffiliated. All right, another soapbox. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this is great. I love your passion. So, so in listening, as part of your research, you kind of categorize the majority of the young adults that you interviewed, you kind of categorize them into three different categories loosely. Can you just, in a rough detail, give us a sense of what those three categories are and how young people fill, in, fill, yeah, fill into yeah. them? Yeah, we did. We, um, it was really interesting. When we started the research, we really thought we were going to come up with a, a profile a profile of disaffiliated young adults. And the more we, we read the interviews and we talked with young adults, we went there, no such thing as a profile. And so the best we could do in order, and, and the only reason we did this was so that we could have conversations around young adults. We needed some language to get started. We created three different profiles or three different dynamics. We tried to avoid language like, like category because it, it seems to, that seems to block young adults in um, and we found that no, none of our interviews fit into one of these dynamics. Uh, they all crossed over, but it gave us three different lenses through which we could see the experience of the disaffiliated. Uh, and the first lens we used was the drifters. We, we heard stories from these young adults who um, uh, have no particular passion, no particular beef around church. Um, they just kind of drifted away. Uh, they, the church wasn't meaningful. They got involved in other things. Uh, the Catholic Church just didn't didn't hold them. Oftentimes, uh, oftentimes there were family dynamics as part of that. Families drifted away, so they just kind of drifted. Uh, they weren't angry about anything in particular, uh, but the church didn't have any meeting. It didn't it, it didn't meet their hungers. And I, I'd like to come back to that at the very end if we can. Um, the second the second dynamic that we experienced was we called them the dissenters. We met young adults who had who were, these were the serious questioners. These were the ones who had very specific issues uh, around certain church teachings that, that they found that there were church teachings that they simply couldn't abide with, uh, that didn't fit for their lived experiences. And they thought, well, if, if this is what it means to be Catholic, then um, I guess I'm not Catholic. And so, so we ran into those kinds of issues as well. The, we call them the dissenters. The, they had active questions around the, around church teaching um, and so. And then, and it was interesting about them, they also didn't have a place where they could ask those questions. So they never entered into dialogue around those questions because I don't think they had trusted, either trusted adults or credible witnesses with whom they could interact. Uh, and then the third and probably the saddest, uh, we ran into quite a few stories of young adults. We called them the damaged or the injured. And these were ones who had, who had specifically negative experiences of church. And, and I have to tell you, um, it wasn't related to the abuse crisis. Because one of the things that, that pastoral leaders have jumped on is that, well, this is all due to the clergy abuse crisis. And, and it, it's not. I just want to say that it's not. That our study precedes, it, it, our study was done two years ago before the latest crisis at the church. Um, this is not about that. It's not about the cl clergy abuse crisis, but they were damaged in other kinds of ways by, by what they perceived as church judgmentalism, church insensitivity, 
the lack of pastoral response to issues in their life. Something as, as practical, specific, and personal as one of, well, this showed up in several interviews, when these youth were dealing with tough times in their life, they had, they had parents, relatives, friends, uh, and two examples I remember clearly with terminal illnesses. They were told to pray, so they, they prayed, uh, but the people died anyway. And so, so they felt like, now, now see, look what happens. I mean, think about our theology of prayer. If prayer is presented as you pray and this will happen, well, when that doesn't happen, I guess I don't pray well. You know, that, that kind of dynamic. So it calls into attention here a little bit about um, our theology of prayer. But it, but it gives you a sense of, of how a young person could feel damaged or injured. Uh, quite a few stories. And I have to tell you, we, we sometimes underestimate how our youth today, how perceptive they are about the big issues. I mean, we sometimes underestimate how they have absorbed the societal and global agenda. And we've heard these stories about their perception, how they perceived the church treating the LBQT uh, community, that they, my, my suspicion is that every young person knows another young person who is gay. And so if they perceive the church as treating, as making judgment about them, as treating them unfairly, um, that, that, that greatly impacts their view of what, if that's what it means to be Catholic, I don't want to be Catholic. You know, and this, this is just a PS, just for your listeners here. In my conversations with, with youth and young adults around, around the LBQT uh, uh, issue, they don't see it as an issue of sexuality. They see it as an issue of social justice. It, it's fascinating to me, and I sometimes think we've done a really good job in our ministry of, of um, teaching our young people the principles of Catholic social teaching. And the first principle is around human dignity. They see this as an issue of human dignity, not an issue of sexuality. And so, so that, that to me was really fascinating. But, but, those, but those overlapping dynamics just give us a, a, a way of talking about some of these young adult experiences. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially with the LGBTQ uh, conversation. Uh, with it being a human dignity sort of thing um, uh, or a social justice uh, topic, it almost makes me think we need to recategorize or repackage how we talk about certain subjects. Like that maybe is something that's more of a faith justice issue than a human sexuality issue. Um, and my mind's thing on all these different things. I've been listening, trying to active listen, <laughs> active listening, but just uh, going through the subjects uh, for sure. Um, what, what do you feel like has been the big learning that you've experienced through this process? You personally, Bob, as you've uncovered this data, uh, you shared the, um, the thank, uh, the gratefulness that people had just for listening to them. What, what else is something that you've learned through the, this research and process? I, I am fascinated by how young adults today are crafting a religious identity in a secular world. Um, this, this is one of those unintended consequences. You, know, you start to study these young adults in relationship to the Catholic Church, but increasingly, Chris and John, I have to tell you, it's, um, I am fascinated, and, and I'm actually hopeful. Uh, I know this sounds crazy, and people say, oh, they feel so depressed about all this. I, I feel incredibly hopeful about this, because here, here's what I'm finding. I think that there are these, I think there, 
if there are these underlying hungers that I think are universal and timeless. Um, <clears throat> I think there's, I think our young adults, they have a hunger for meaning and purpose. I think they want to make sense out of their life. They want to know what life holds to them, what's their future hold. I think there's a hunger for connection. They want to belong somewhere and to someone. It's as basic as that hunger for intimacy in their, in their, in their relationships and a belonging to a community. There's a hunger for recognition that they, they have gifts. They have value. They have something to bring, not just to the church world, but to the secular world. There's a hunger for justice. I think we find that in so many of our youth and young adults. And there's a hunger for the holy. And this is our theology. We believe, we believe, Genesis 1.26, that we are created in the image and likeness of God. So that says to me, imprinted on our soul is this hunger for union with the creator. It's there. So the question becomes, where are they going to meet these hungers? The hungers don't go away. So where are they going? And that's the fascinating part for me is that I think that young people are crafting a religious identity. Uh, they're drawing for a variety of, of traditions and practices, beliefs, and even communal and societal connections. Um, I, I am fascinated by the role of fitness centers. I have to tell you, it's, this, this is incredible to me. If you've watched the Planet Fitness ad that's on TV right now, there are two sound bites. No commitment necessary. I feel like a commercial for Planet Fitness. <laughs> $1 down, $10 a month. And their second soundbite, the judgment-free zone. I, I think they read our study. I think they owe us royalties <laughs> for this. They do. But, but this is so interesting. Um, what's that other one? CrossFit. CrossFit uh, in Arlington, Virginia, right across the river from D.C., on the first Sunday of the month, they do a thing called Fitness and Faith. They have a Protestant non-denominational minister who comes in, and they have a 45-minute boot camp, and then they have a 45-minute conversation about topics. And the one that they just had was, who is my neighbor? And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, they're, they're on this. And young adults are going to that. They're, they're going to those kinds of settings. They are, they are finding, they are finding the, the interest in yoga centers and meditation centers, incredible. Um, there's this thing going on. This is just fascinating. This would be a, a, its own podcast. There's this, there's this group of people, and they've created something called the Dinner Party. It started with two young adult women, both of whom had experienced significant loss in their life, and they had nowhere to go to talk about their pain. So they got together over dinner to talk, and, and they started to invite other people who had similar experiences. So now they have this thing, and I think there's a YouTube video on this, and I think I have a website called The Dinner Party. And I think it's operating now in 74, 74 different cities as a dinner party. They, they have a manual. They have a manual that includes things like icebreakers, discussion starters, eat recipes, you know, because it's around dinner, and blessings. Um, I, I'm thinking it's like a manual for, for hospitality at church. You know, it's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. So what, what, so Chris, what was excited me is that the hungers are there. They're, they're trying to feed those hungers in other kinds of ways. They're crafting their religious identity in brand new ways. And I am absolutely, and this would be its own podcast. I, I I'm pretty subtle about that, aren't I? You know, but, <laughs> but I am absolutely convinced that the Catholicism, the Catholic tradition 
is rich in its its ability to respond to those hungers. So I think all right, maybe maybe this is my maybe this is my last point. I don't, I don't know how we're doing on time here. Maybe on my last point is that I think we are going to be challenged to recapture Catholicism as a comprehensive way of living. Catholicism, Christianity was a lifestyle before it was a belief system. And and it started with the Reformation. We we our first catechisms were were written in response to the Reformation. We went from a church that emphasized orthopraxis, the correct way of living, and we emphasized orthodoxy, the correct way of thinking. And so, so I would maintain we want to go back to our roots and look at Catholicism as a comprehensive way of living, and I think that would be attractive to young adults, and I think that would indeed respond to their fundamental hungers. Mm. Towards the end of the research, you guys uh, present some pastoral questions or um, uh, questions to to consider, but you you intentionally don't go into any solutions. Uh, <laughs> to your point from earlier, it's like every church is different, every demographic is different, and so you do give some ideas, your own uh, your own personal professional opinions that aren't in the research that you just shared. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. But I think every single one of you listening needs to really take a look at this research. Whether you're in youth or young adult ministry or not, it has implications across your entire parish and church community. And so I highly recommend picking it up. Again, the research is called Going, Going, Gone, The Dynamics of Disaffiliation in Young Catholics. And you can pick it up at St. Mary's Press. All you have to do is go to smp.org. I'm sure you could probably find it on amazon.com as well. Yeah. As yeah, most books are there. Website. Do a commercial for the website. Which which website? Your website? My you website. Yeah, go yeah, for it. it. St. <laughs> Mary's Press created a website for the research. It's catholicresearch.smp.org. And on there, there's a place where you can click on, put your email in, and it says join the conversation. See, this this is not a research that is finished. This is not a project that is finished. We are continuing to interview young adults. We're continuing to expand our thinking about this whole issue. And, and I would encourage all the listeners, you can become part of this, and your youth and young adults can become part of this. There's places on there to, to, um, to upload your stories, uh, to upload your experiences. Uh, it's, it's all, I would encourage us as pastoral ministers to be part of the, this ongoing conversation around disaffiliation and what it's telling the church catholicresearch.smp.org. It's a, it's a great place to be. We'll have all those links in the show notes for you. So if you want to find out all the details about it, you can go to thechurchpodcast.org and click on where it says episode 64 entitled Going, Going, Gone. Uh, and all the details will be there. So quick links for everything on there. And uh, again, if you have found this information valuable, pick up the book, take a look at the website, catholicresearch.smp.org. Uh, and delve into this and, and really start seeing what implications there are for you in the parish. I, I agree with you, Bob. This is exciting. You know, do we have a lot of work ahead of us? I, I think we do. Uh, but it's not impossible. Uh, you know, and to be cheesy about it with God, all things are possible, right? So <laughs> we can believe in that. So Chris, any final words for us as we wrap up? Yeah, what's refreshing about this conversation is it feels like, Bob, you've given us permission to play. And I would say for us as youth workers, let's just keep sharing that.
Very good. Bob, thank you again. Uh, besides the website, is there any other way that you want to let people know where they can find you? Any social media or emails that you want to share with the world? Uh, of course. Of course. Yeah, my email is real simple. It's, it's bobmccarty at verizon.net. And so if people want to continue this conversation one-on-one, I'm happy to do that. If you're, if you're looking to do some kind of training or resourcing, um, we should talk that through. I, I really, I mean, seriously, that's a serious offer there. So Bob McCarty at verizon.net. Uh, let the conversations continue. Awesome, my friend. Thank you. Chris, why don't you wrap us up here? Huh? All right, definitely. Uh, let, let, let's end in prayer. Pray for Bob and his ministry. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this time together to listen to Bob and hear his, uh, his mission uh, that you've called him on. Lord, I ask that you uh, continue to bless these churches out there as they explore different ways to connect and reconnect with the youth, the, the nuns and the duns, and, and everyone who uh, is, is maybe strayed or, or left or has been abandoned by the church, Lord. I pray that your presence be known through the different men and women who are working in the church trenches. Continue to bless their work and everything they do. We love you in your name we pray. Amen. Father, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.